Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome back to another interview of Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. And today, we're going to talk about unstoppable domains. And we brought on uh, Bradley Cam, uh, co-founder of the platform, to help us, help walk us through and answer questions that I may have um, about what unstoppable domains is and what it seeks to do and how it differentiates itself. So, Bradley, uh, welcome to the show. Why don't you start off by doing the normal thing? Uh, telling us kind of how you got into the space and, and a brief intro as to what unstoppable unstoppable domains is. For sure, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so I got into the crypto space. I moved to San Francisco in 2012 in order to work on a marketing software company. Uh, nothing to do with crypto, but I moved into a Bitcoin hacker house uh, called Twenty Mission in San Francisco. And it was like 30 people. Uh, they were shooting horror movies when I first moved in there because <laughs> the building was like falling apart and like basically not. Uh, it didn't actually look like real residents were there. There was a call to the police at one point saying there were a bunch of squatters there. And we're like, no, we're actually paying rent. Um, <laughs> anyway, it was, it was kind of crazy. But the second, uh, the second Bitcoin exchange in the U.S. was launched in our basement. Uh, pretty much everybody there was working on a, on a crypto project of some kind. Uh, a couple years later, Vitalik gave a talk in our courtyard before Ethereum even launched. So I was fortunate. I moved to San Francisco and I basically just fell down the rabbit hole, you know, maybe maybe two or three weeks after I got there. Um, thought crypto was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and started playing with it, buying it, playing around with ideas and just kind of couldn't stop thinking about it ever, ever since then. How, how the world did you fall into that house? Uh, I had a, I was very fortunate. I had a good friend who had, who had just moved there. He had been living this relatively, uh, relatively nice life in, in the Richmond. Uh, he broke up with his girlfriend and moved into this place. Um, I think he was like the eighth or ninth person there. And he was the only person I knew in San Francisco. So he said, come here. So I did. Yeah. Funny how that works out sometimes. <laughs> Being at the right <laughs> spot at the right time. Actually, I think a lot of the people that I've interviewed, um, that have been around for a very long time. It's kind of got a similar start. It's like, I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time around the right people and was interested by the tech, and here I am. It's it's pretty wild because um, it does need to, you know, I mean, it sounds so improbable, uh, crypto does. And so it does, you know, to some extent, it does sort of require or it's helpful if, um, you know, if somebody uh, somebody advocates. And so that happened to me, and then I read the white paper and kind of went down that, that normal path and you know, here we are <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about unstoppable domains like why why a naming system or what is well, first off what is unstoppable domains like how does it work what does it do yeah so unstoppable domains is a domain registry uh we're similar to like a dot com except for our domain registries are on blockchains they are not part of the traditional dns system uh, domains are part of smart contracts and they're stored inside of your wallet with your private key. So, for example, we have a dot crypto registry and domains are ERC721 tokens. So you store them inside of your Ethereum wallet. And uh, currently uh, you are set up to be work with both the Zillica network and Ethereum. So you have a dot Zill and dot crypto um, top level domain that people can register uh, domains under. Um, does that mean, is it, so on Zillica, are you still using the ERC-721 standard? And, uh, and it's like whatever smart contracting and limitations on Zillica? So we have a separate registry.zill on the Zillica blockchain. And, and the way, the best way to think about it is that the blockchain is your, your uh, asset registry. And then, so you're issuing domain names on the blockchain. And then you're attaching records, just like you would like a DNS record, uh, to your domain name, but you're writing that record to the blockchain. 
and then people are using the blockchain as the source to go and look up the record associated with your domain name. So if you have a traditional domain name, you type it in, you hit, uh, you go through a series of paths, and then eventually you get the the DNS. The DNS servers will give you the appropriate record. Here, you just go read the Ethereum blockchain or the Zilliqa blockchain, and you find the record. Uh, so it's replacing the DNS servers with the blockchain as like your public database. Yeah, uh, I have a ton of ton of things we can go into here. Um, hopefully, we can get to all of them. <laughs> it's like we, 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 I guess we're luckily enough. I think we we've had uh, Taishun from Namebase, which is the handshake, uh, like a basically the um, interface to the handshake, one of the interfaces to the handshake protocol to register um, HNS domains, which um, are which which is a way to do decentralized top level domains. This isn't necessarily the same here, but it's sort of the same vein of, uh, of, of, of a naming system. And the routing associated with how computers do lookups with human, re- human readable text to something that's not necessarily human readable or not easily human, human readable, uh, and then applying assets to those things is, is a very interesting and hard problem, especially when you try to add censorship resistance. Like why? Why build a new one when we have something like ENS for Ethereum? Yeah, it's a good question. So we the first the first demo product that we ever built was a registrar uh, for .eth. Uh, so we were inspired by .eth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love the project, and the thought was that uh, we wanted to try different things with. A registry stra- registry strategy. So we had a couple of uh, a couple of innovations that we thought were missing from the marketplace. Uh, one of those was that domain names don't need subscriptions. So uh, if you buy a domain name, you own it forever. There's no subscription, and the reason why we wanted to eliminate subscriptions is because there have been issues where the registry can raise prices. Uh, or even potentially raise prices to such a point that you would lose the domain name. So we thought that the concept of subscriptions was introducing a uh, potential uh, potential censorship risk. Whereas if you own your domain name forever, it doesn't actually matter what happens to unstoppable domains anymore. So once you have one of our domain names, you, you don't need to care about the health or wealth of unstoppable domains Again, you all you need to care about is the Ethereum blockchain, essentially. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, we also introduced this concept of multi-currency payments. Uh, this hadn't existed previously, where the way it works is is that I have my crypto domain, and uh, I can attach my Bitcoin, my Ethereum, my Litecoin, all of my crypto addresses to this one domain, and then you can pay me inside of wallets. So right now, this works inside of Trust Wallet, my Ether Wallet, my crypto, many others where you could pay me in dozens of different currencies, all to Brad.crypto. And this is something that uh, didn't exist until we built it. So we have a lot of respect for .eth, and we include them in our tools. Uh, but we had some, some new ideas that we wanted to introduce into the market. And we think that you know, the market is you know, better for that now that, there's, uh, now that there's kind of two versions. Um, but you don't really need to choose. Tools tend to support both of us. Why not? We're pretty yeah. early in this space. And really... It's really much more about trying to provide an alternative uh, to DNS. Absolutely, and, and kind of. I was just curious about kind of the, the differentiating features within unstoppable domains, like like you said, the kind of uh, pay anything with a. How, how does that work? Is that like an integration with uh, decentralized exchanges, or are you routing to various keys? How does someone send? Uh, how, what's the mechanism in which someone sends payment to say? CoreyPetty.crypto and it goes in, in it and it's automatically routed based on the assets that's sent. So it's actually really it's it's really simple. Uh, what's happening is you are signing a message with the private key that controls the domain name, mm-hmm. and you're writing the address of the blockchain. So if you were to go look up Brad.crypto on the blockchain, you would see uh, BTC equals address, LTC equals address, etc. And so a wallet, when I type in Brad.crypto, a wallet reads the blockchain, finds the associated address, and drops it into the send field. So if I'm in Trust Wallet and I type in Brad.crypto into the BTC field, it knows to go and grab my BTC address. 
Same thing if I go into a Litecoin field. So it's really just a lookup, uh, a lookup on the blockchain, and the Ethereum blockchain is acting as your your, your public database. Lookups are free, so this okay. is a very so, so the client is still um, responsible for crafting the appropriate transaction depending on the the asset. Uh, yeah, but all they're doing is is they're making a request yeah. to the blockchain itself. It's a, it's a great saying, registry to find. Um, information based on an individual and the addresses they'd like to be paid at for various, for, for whatever, whatever they want. What, what else is available outside of like, what kind of records can you add to a specific, um, domain? So the idea is, is that, is that the two primary use cases right now are payments and websites. So you can attach, you know, any cryptocurrency address that's for the payments use case, but you can also attach your, uh, IPFS hash for your website. And so one of the other things that I think is, you know, I think one of the other things that we focused on a lot as a company that I think we felt was somewhat missing from the market previously uh, are tools to make this stuff easy. So unstoppabledomains.com is like a new version of a registrar where you can, inside of our UI, go and add addresses, sign a message with your private key, and write crypto addresses to the blockchain. So you can set up your domain in this way. You can also attach your IPFS hash. Uh, there's also tools to, with a couple of clicks and a little editor, launch your own IPFS website very easily. Uh, we have an extension where you can uh, view .crypto websites and .zill websites inside of Google Chrome. So it's this sort of broader tool set of things to make all of this stuff easy. Um, but to kind of get back down to the websites, to the web, to what do you actually write to your domain name? It's uh, crypto addresses and uh, hashes for decentralized storage. Okay, great. That's kind of like, I mean, tooling is definitely something I want to get into here because like one, congratulations on the recent announcement of the partnership with Opera, um, them them facilitating um, resolving .crypto addresses within within the search bar. That's, that's fantastic because one of the main barriers of entry is popular tooling that people use that they don't under, really understand. It's just what's available to them. Um, allowing them to get access to this space without having to download a bunch of extensions, like like native integration of these things that make it to, that make Web3 discoverable. And it's things like that that definitely help um, people access this content without having to add a bunch of steps, right? Do like, it feels like doing the same thing with a bunch of steps. Uh, and so like, I guess, I guess with something like an opera integration or native integration, they just type in your name dot crypto or I'm assuming you do subdomains too. Is that correct? Yeah. Subdomains are subdomains are supported and, and the real idea. So opera is 80 million. It's only on Android so far, but it's still 80 million monthly active users. So this is, yeah. So this is the, you know, this is kind of the biggest step forward. I would say for the decentralized web so far, this is the biggest opening up. Uh, for you know native decentralized web experience, and so you can go in right now. You can type in uh, myetherwallet.crypto, and you can interact with the full myetherwallet application on the decentralized web. You can just type it into the Opera browser. Uh, you can also go to kyber.crypto, and you can uh, interact with the Kyber protocol and do decentralized exchange. These are the types of things that you know make the decentralized web so powerful. Like these are these are dApps that are attempting to be censorship resistant, but they previously had this this DNS or this this uh, you know Amazon Web Services problem. Uh, they don't have to have those problems anymore. Yeah, it's it's a main issue with with many conversations that I've had with um, people who are building alternative naming systems outside of DNS is that um, how do you get people to query the right name servers to get to get to get whatever they're using to resolve correctly, right? Because like, say, for instance, you use your standard ISP given name service. It's a regular DNS name server. And you want to query this stuff. Your browser is going to be like, I don't know what that is. It's nothing. So you don't get anything back. And so you have to have that additional tooling and infrastructure um, available, readily available, so that any anybody who's interested can just type in the address and it resolves appropriately. Uh, and until that happens, it's it's relegated to the enthusiasts like me and you to run our own name servers, to uh, you know download extensions and do it for our friends and family, and or, or, or and do all stuff for our friends and family. And it's, it's that's been a very large barrier of entry 
since the birth of all of this technology is the infrastructure and tooling associated with getting people to use it quickly and easily. I agree. I agree. I think it's a huge problem. I think the thing that has been um, really positive, though, that we've seen from the market is that browsers are already looking at this stuff. You know, we've seen a lot of browsers integrate Ethereum, for example. Uh, we've seen a lot of them looking at IPFS. So we've seen them trying to trying to get these networks plugged into their software, even for other reasons. You know, so like Opera, for example, they started with a wallet. Uh, that was their first focus. Mm -hmm. And then they said, okay, well, we're already reading the Ethereum blockchain. Wow, it's actually not going to be that much harder to also resolve uh, resolve websites. Yeah, but uh, for anyone who's spent any reasonable amount of time trying to query the blockchain and pull information from it, it kind of sucks. It's not fun. Um, JSON RPC is not amenable to caching. Um, we have services like Fiora and Cloudflare running proxies that run a bunch of um, kind of middleware to help make that look up faster. But it's kind of going back in the direction of centralization. Are, do you see any improvements um, with this infrastructure and tooling in the space coming up that, that moves away from this kind of, I don't want to call it a centralization risk, but definitely it's, it's, there's, there's centralization in terms of how people access information, not necessarily where the information is stored. Sure. I think this is, and I, I would say that just in, in general, you know, philosophically, like, you know, we think that, you know, people should be, people should be looking up stuff directly on the blockchain, that it's not, it's not ideal to have those types of, uh, those types of uh, things in the middle. But at the same time, I also think that the world is, is likely going to have a lot of different versions simultaneously. You know, so just like, you know, we've got Bitcoin, it's censorship resistant, you know, a lot of us, you know, store Bitcoin with our own private key, but some of us for reasons of uh, convenience or other things like that might use a custodian for some portion or whatever, or for some period of time that doesn't negate all the value of Bitcoin. And I think the same is kind of true for a lot of these, uh, these gateways, like it may be that what you're going to want to have is you're going to want to have uh some IPFS, you're, you're going to want to have some level of distribution across IPFS nodes to make sure that your content is fully distributed, but not everybody with an IPFS node in their browser actually looking up the content directly themselves. They might use a gateway for speed and convenience, but they know that even if that gateway were to go down, they still have a maybe a, a clunkier but still censorship-resistant backup. So I think there's just a lot of different versions of the world that can coexist. Um, but we are very excited about this idea of, for example, uh, people having IPFS nodes inside of their browsers. And we actually launched our own browser as kind of a, a, a demo for the market that has an IPFS node inside of it. If you were to go to you know, brad.crypto and you like my website, you can, with one click, turn on the node and store and share that website to the network. So basically, the more popular my website is, the more people are fans of it, the more decentralized it becomes. And oh, so I'm reading have... the IPFS network. So you've made a browser. Uh, can, you, can, you, can you give me some details on the, the, the tech stack of this browser? Because it's running a node inside of it, which means that like, if I go on your website, um, brad.crypto, which, which is ostensibly an IPFS hash, and I, I retrieve that thing, I can then pin it myself to then increase its availability across the IPFS network. And that's, exactly. that's, a, that's a massive thing that needs to be done because um, reliability of information across a uh, unincentivized network because Filecoin is not launched yet is very difficult. You can't unless you pin it yourself. And then what's 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 the reason, right? So you need more accessible content to give you better data availability, which is something like what you just said. Uh, browsers that have nodes in front of them and based on people liking them, sharing with the burden of of hosting those things or, or increasing their availability across the network. Can you talk about what that browser is and how it's built? Yeah, so it's a it's a Chromium fork, and we just uh, we just it's an it's open source. anybody is anybody is free to fork it, play with it, build off of it. We're not attempting to be a browser company. This was meant to be kind of a developer tool and an example to the browser market. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we 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 built an IPFS node inside in inside there, and then really the only other feature uh, that we introduced was this idea of the voluntary uh, the voluntary pinning. And we were trying to show that there's there are other uh, 
dynamics besides pure monetary incentivization to incentivize uh, content to get on a lot of different nodes. And we're already seeing content creators that we're talking, they were talking with wanting to offer this where, for example, they might say like, you know, here's my video, you know, I'm going to have like, here's my like decentralized, you know, YouTube, because YouTube has been having all these issues recently where they've been taking down crypto creators, uh, where they can put their content up on the decentralized web and they can charge for it. But maybe if you, if you're willing to be a node and serve that up, then you get a discount or you get it free or whatever. Um, so there's all kinds of interesting ways to create incentives that don't necessarily require, um, you know, pay this node, you know, 10 cents or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's I mean, personally speaking, I work for a company that is actively looking into building out these services and making it like the backbone of our network, right? Uh, having, having a web three, a desktop web three browser and wallet and so on and so forth, um, is part of the mainstay of what we're trying to do. And so I would like, I'll probably be looking into this to see how it's done and, and, and asking your questions outside of this, but like, how do you, I feel like having a registry that has so much linked to it, um, has a few potential gotchas in terms of how that information is used and, um, who controls it at what points like that, the unstoppable domains definitely gives an insinuation that, um, people can't take it down. There's a large amount of censorship resistance. Uh, are there weak points in this? Like what's in, in the process of purchasing a domain, at what point is it mine and no one else can take it and no one else can manipulate it and take it back from me or, or, or change the records that I have associated with it? So you've got two steps. You've got purchase and then you've got claim. And so in the span of two minutes, you can buy the domain and then claim it to your wallet. Once that transaction has gone through on the Ethereum blockchain and you have the domain in your wallet, that's it. Nothing unstoppable domains can do. That's an ERC-20 token in my wallet that is no longer yeah. a part of the platform. ERC-721 token, yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Uh, 20. It's oh, okay. yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> uh, definitely not that. Yes, ERC-721. Yeah, these are non non fungible tokens, and so your your you know typically users are storing them inside of MetaMask, um, but some users use like the DApp browsers, which have good UI for mm -hmm. um, for NFTs. You know, so like Coinbase Wallet, Trust Wallet. There's several several others that are great, but um, that's what we encourage. So basically, once you bought the domain, you put it inside of a self custody wallet, hopefully one that you already use and are comfortable with, and that's it. It's yours. All right, great. And then you have to you can basically use um, the contracts that are on board to, to then look up the registrations and resolve whatever is associated with it. Uh, yeah, and and those don't depend on us either. Those are those are on the blockchain. So the registry is already on the blockchain. Anyone can just go and read the blockchain, find the records. If you, the user, wrote those re you know, associated those specific records with your domain name, um, that's your choice. Anybody can read it. That's their choice. I'm curious about. Um, the associated risk with that registry in um, and, and, and two ways. One is something I already alluded to, which I'll get back to here in a second. The other one is the control and security profile of that registry. Like let's take, for instance, the parity bug, the parity multisig bug, um, where like the, you know, all the, all the multisigs worked great, but the library that they depended on got nuked, which basically locked away all that ether. Um, is there such a situation where say the controller of the registry um, can nuke it, change ownership, change change it? Can it be self-destructed so that the registry goes away, which thus like locks away all the value associated with it? It's impossible. And we, we, we built it in such a way that that is impossible because we didn't, we, the whole point here was to deliver a product that was a censorship resistant domain name. And so we built it in such a way that it really does not matter what we decide to do with the registry. The one thing we can do with the registry is we can turn it off in the sense that it can't mint new domains. That is a power that we have in case there was some issues, mm -hmm. but it still doesn't change what happened to existing domains. There are several hundred thousand domains out there. There is nothing we can do. Uh, even if we were to turn off future minting, which is something we would only do in extreme cases if we thought there was a bug or whatever else. Um, but even that doesn't affect users that already have domain names. And so that was that was by design. 
has that gone through any type of um, security audit to help to help give some more confidence and reassurance around those like security guarantees? I, I'm a security engineer, so I think about these things nonstop. Sorry. <laughs> totally, no, they're they're great questions, and we yeah we had multiple security audits. Um, we have uh, one professional one that was uh, that we published, and we're happy to happy to happy to share that sort of stuff. Yeah, great. I'll um, have to look so through we, it myself. You know, yeah. Partly because I'm interested. Um, I just like looking at these things. Another one is because like, like I work for products that would like to implement stuff like this. And so we need to, like, before implementing anything into our product, I need to make sure that like the users of, of what we do um, can safely integrate this feature into what and, and allow them to start using it and not really have any worries about whether or not that feature will ever not work as intended. You know what I mean? And so like I ask these questions, not, for, not only for myself, but for anyone who's thinking about trying to integrate something like Unstoppable Domains that like once it's theirs and in their wallet, it's theirs and in their wallet. I think it's super important. It's a super important question because I think one of the things that you would ask yourself as a developer is, is, you know, how future proof is this system? Um, you know, can I, you know, can I rely on it in, in five years, 10 years time, whatever. So I think those are, those are great questions. Um, I think those are, I, I understand why you wouldn't want to move forward without those things. And we've, we found this as we've been working with wallets that, you know, we, we, we do wind up going through a pretty serious security review, uh, especially with the larger ones, um, where they're looking closely at the tech before they're willing to implement, you know, for the, for the same, for the reasons you mentioned, I mean, people are, sending money with these things. People are, uh, you know, building web presences, like it's important stuff. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and they're relying on that lookup to work as intended, especially if they're hosting critical infrastructure or, or popular sites, they don't that want to make sure these things can't be rerouted to something else or taken over, changed and so on and so forth. And so that like having that type of mm -hmm. guarantee, which in my opinion, building naming systems like this is if done properly, inherently more secure than traditional ones. Um, because like signing certificates, like, you know, you get rid of CAs, you get rid of all these like kind of ad hoc infrastructure that we've built that makes the internet work today as it works. Um, like with something that's natively using cryptography in a, in a way that's particularly useful for um, proving ownership and, and, and maintaining assets. Yeah, I mean, CAs are gone, uh, custodians are gone. Uh, and the custodian thing is quite a big deal. Like, you know, you can have, you know, your DNS, you know, you can have your DNS registrar get hacked. You could have them make an accidental update that causes an issue. Um, they could, you know, react to a court order and shut you down. There's so many different, uh, different ways that that system can fail currently. So how do you get All people to like, say, say with something like name base, right? Um, sorry, like handshake, um, which is a decentralized top-level domain registrar, so I can I can get like dot petty or dot corey or dot whatever, dot hashing it out, um, and then build subdomains and and you know, hierarchical subdomains on that. How do you get them to not make a dot crypto and then start fighting you for that top-level domain and the infrastructure that resolves it? I mean, I think in general, naming systems have had this problem around collisions, and I. You know, broadly speaking, the way that we should view it as a community is uh, there's no reason to collide. There's only 1,500 traditional domain extensions out there. There's about four um, blockchain domain registries. And it's not in anyone's interest to have collisions. And even worse, it would actually uh, potentially uh, harm millions of users who currently can send money using uh, using .crypto or .zill domains, and they could potentially send it to the wrong address. So it would be a massive harm to millions of crypto users uh, if that were to happen. So I think that, you know, we're relying on the judgment, of course, of, you know, of, of people to, you know, not do something that could be, you know, pretty socially destructive. Uh, but at the same time, it's more about integrations. So your registry in this world Unlike DNS, you know, browsers just hook up, you know, browsers just you know, read DNS servers. Browsers can get access to every registry. They don't need to really make any decisions. Whereas here what's happening is, is browsers and wallets are deciding which registries are legitimate. 
And so that's a role that they are now playing in this world. And they're only going to integrate with the ones that are perceived as legitimate because they have business risks. And now that we're in 20 plus wallets, Opera browser and more coming, uh, it just won't make sense for applications to support a colliding system, which is, you know, just sort of not to anyone's benefit. It behooves, assuming that the principles are in check and, and, and align appropriately, it behooves infrastructure and tooling to integrate with things that are used, right? Because like ultimately we're doing things to, so that we're lowering the barrier of entry, making it more useful um, and providing the end user a much easier time to do things than previously. So like, like I said, assuming the, the fundamentals are in place, there's no reason why someone would want to try and do that outside of trying to sabotage the system because they think it's doing something it shouldn't do. And so that, I guess that's your main risk there is people uh, perceiving unstoppability as bad. Like they want control. Uh, and so like when you, when, like, there's, like, there's always a, kind of an open narrative of whether or not um, permissionlessness or like a lack of control is good. And I think that this is really just because we haven't gone to the next step yet uh, in terms of thinking about how permissionless systems actually play out in the market. And the whole thing that we're focused on is the idea that at the protocol level, you can't have censorship. It has to be permissionless. And the reason why is because otherwise the entire system uh, can get corrupted. It's the same reason why uh, Bitcoin needs to work this way and Ethereum needs to work this way. Because if you have your gatekeeper, that gatekeeper over time is going to uh, limit what people can do. So you have to have the protocol layer like this. But that does not mean that every application has to allow every crazy anarchic uh, website application, whatever, to uh, you know, just you know, to 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 essentially like you know, collapse the social order. It doesn't mean that terrible, horrible, illegal, all kinds of things are going to be flooded all over our apps because apps are reading the blockchain, right? Apps can say, "We don't want to read this record. This record is unethical." Um, but the difference is, is that so long as you do that at the second layer instead of the first layer, it means that there's not one answer. There's not a way like there is with the current DNS where you can just silence someone completely. If I believe that what I'm saying should be out there and other browsers agree with me and browsers agree with me, even if it's only 2%, 3%, 5%, then uh, that information is going to get out there. Or people are going to read the blockchain themselves directly from their devices or whatever. Like Putting it at the, at the first layer ensures that information that needs to get out can get out but it doesn't prevent us from still filtering out most of the bad stuff uh, that we actually object to and don't want to, to propagate itself. So this world is actually going to leave, having this permissionless, this permissionlessness is actually going to lead us uh, to a place where we're going to have a better internet, a better regulated internet than what we have right now where Facebook and YouTube uh, essentially in their own walled gardens or whatever, just decide what's okay and what's not and don't tell us how or why or what they're doing. Um, applications could share that. There could be like a warning list of uh, domains associated with bad behavior and that could sit on the blockchain. Well, it's kind of like what uh, like, a, like a crypto, like the crypto scam DB does with a lot of the, like a lot of the, the wallet extensions. They share basically, if you, if you type in a certain address or domain, it says, hey, this has been flagged for, you know, malicious content. And, and it's like, you're right. I think you're right. I say this, I, I follow the same ideology or narrative that you just mentioned. And that is the, like the right to opt out. Um, if you built a constrained system, the more constraints you put into the foundational layer of a system, um, the, the, the less you can build on top of it. And so if you build something that works, that doesn't have constraints at the very bottom, then you can build whatever you want on top of it with the option to opt out if that thing ever turns into something you don't like. Whereas if you do the opposite, it doesn't work that way. Exactly. And this is the superpower of putting this information on the blockchain is that it is, it is a gigantic public database in the sky that anybody can access. And as a result, uh, 
you have this protection. Like it's it's extremely accessible, but at the same time, you as an application can just ignore a record. So it's so easy for you as an application to say like, I want this information, I'm gonna go get it and I'm gonna show it. Or uh, I don't wanna show this information, so I'm gonna hide it or throw a warning or whatever I'm gonna do. Hey, Corey. Yeah. What's your status? Rocking it. That's right. Same here. We rock this shit. So anyways, <laughs> most people know status. As a, as a mobile app for private secure communication. Did you know that, Corey? Oh, I knew it. I'm the CSO. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you had an inkling. Oh, inkling. So, uh, yeah, just a little just a little bit of an inkling. So, um, so what it does is, and this is like news to a lot of you listening right now, it combines a decentralized messenger, right? What's that mean? The messaging is decentralized. A crypto wallet... <laughs> And a Web3 browser. That's a lot of things in one app, Corey. How you, how you guys pulling that off? Uh, it's kind of hard, but in fact, it's it's a lot more than that, right? It's it's like the status is like really just a network of projects that, that builds infrastructure, like user level products and tools for DApp developers, all on kind of the Web3 stack, like the decentralization movement. For example, we so, got Nimbus, an S2 client, right? That's like you know infrastructure layer. Uh, it's specifically designed for resource restricted devices like mobile phones. Yeah, I got VAC P2P. That's like your, mod- your modular messaging protocol for private security communication. So, like how these computers talk to each other. And you got Embark. Embark's like um, it's a framework of tools or a suite of tools that allows people to build robust decentralized applications. Uh, in fact, another part, got the key card. Key card's like a really, really. Um, financially cheap but incredibly secure hardware wallet right for contact contactless open source um like hard wallet in a, an api so that you can keep your keys safely while not having to spend a bunch of money dude i love the key card because of like it it just kind of plays on the fact that i like things that have small physical changes that that get people to act differently and that's one of the things crypto desperately needed. So hats off to status for recognizing that. So Appreciate so not only do you get all those amazing things with amazing names, did y'all know Nimbus was the cloud that Goku rides around on? Uh, I don't know if they knew that when they named it that. They, they, they stuck with well, a lot of like cloud-based things because the language they use is called Nim. Mm, what is? Goku rides around on a cloud because you know he can't fly faster than the speed of sound or anything so and, and so not only does status have all that stuff it has more all these projects are connected through a set of principles and a mission to create sovereign open socio-economies through public goods all right sovereignty and transparency now any person or project can join the status network and their mission through contribution or funding they just rolled out a decentralized Kickstarter-like tool for project funding called Assemble. Assemble. Check all of it out and get involved at statusnetwork.com. Yep. So go to statusnetwork.com and check out all of the amazing things. Be a part of it. And back to the show. Well, let's talk about... Okay. We definitely agree on that. We can talk to the cows go home about kind of, uh, we can I guess wax poetic about, about it all day long. Uh, let's talk about some of the difficulties you face. Um, what's, what's hard about doing this and what's a barrier um, that you, you see upcoming in the future of kind of continuing the expansion of unstoppable domains and uh, services like them? I think the biggest challenge is the integrations. Uh, I think the registry technology is a relatively small part. I mean, it was it was hard. Uh, it definitely we definitely spent a lot of time on it. But that's not the hardest part. The hardest part has been the integrations and the tools. So the integrations is uh, to some extent a BD problem. You know, presenting a case to partners, um, figuring out how to get them 
uh, excited to embrace new technology. And I think on the integration side, that means wallets, that means browsers, that means search engines. Uh, it's a lot of stuff that needs to support it in order for us to get to a functioning internet similar to what we have uh, in the traditional world. Uh, and then the other thing I would say, the other category besides integrations is just all the tools. So in the tra traditional world, you know, web building tools and application development tools, those are all pretty good. You know, we've been doing this stuff for 25 years now, whatever it is. Uh, there's, you know, all this great stuff around WordPress. There's all this, uh, you know, deploy tools that exist. There's so the, much the stuff The problem now is not availability of tooling. It's choosing whichever fucking tooling you want to use for a given job because there's so many options. So many options, and and it's not all stitched together in this way that makes sense. It doesn't. It's not. It's not a developer user journey, like like it would be in the with the traditional internet, where you say I have this problem, and then this, and then and then someone will be able to point you to a place where you can go and find you know tools to address that problem. Right now, it it doesn't work that way. Things don't. Things aren't stitched together yet. Um, we don't. We we don't have the GoDaddy like experience where I buy a domain, I can easily launch a website. Or you know whatever the you know kind of whatever the developer equivalent is of that. We don't have those experiences yet, uh, and that just requires a whole bunch of new stuff being built, a whole bunch of stuff uh, being applied to this world that already exists, uh, and stitching it all together. So I would put the two categories of things that are the biggest challenges is our uh, integration partners convincing the applications and tools making it easy. Because I think from the demand side, like. People are pretty excited about this idea of a decentralized web. Uh, I think that we're able to get a lot of, I would say, most of the crypto world, but even a lot of people outside who, you know, have either faced censorship. And you talk to most people around the world, they have faced some sort of internet level censorship, domain level, you know, web hosting level, whatever. And so it's very easy to get people excited about trying this stuff. Um, the problem is, is like once, I mean, I've had this conversation a hundred times, you know, with somebody who is, you know, not really crypto native and then they say, okay, well, how can I do it? And then we start explaining how to do it. And then they're like, all right, well. Get, come back to me in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and honestly, just so everybody, you know, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, your listeners, like, I, I think I, I can say this very candidly. I don't think that this stuff is quite ready for the outside world yet. I think it really is still in the crypto community phase. Um, I think the crypto community is, is diving in, you know, head first. They're starting to build stuff. We're starting to see a lot of dApps, you know, launch stuff on the decentralized web. But until we see that mature, until we really see the crypto community in it and using it, that's when we should expect that it's going to then go out into the next concentric circle of, you know, dissidents or whomever else that, you know, that really absolutely need this stuff. But it's going to start with the crypto people, I think. I would agree with that. That's that's a reasonable outlook. I mean, if we're not using it ourselves and happy with its use case and and like make it really easy for us, then it's it's much, much harder for the people outside of our domain expertise to latch on to it the way we do. I guess speaking of that, like if, because integrations are so important to you, you need people to use it. You need the tooling to be more fluid. You need that user base to be available in whatever kind of applications that are out there. Um, because naming the naming system is is so in, in, integral to kind of uh, the user experience in, in all assets, right? Uh, what has what have you done? What have you created to help facilitate applications integrating um, unstoppable domains into their application? Well, it's been a combo of things. Um, so one thing is just developer docs, you know, documentation for how to do it. That's on our, you know, that's on our website and we're getting the word out. Uh, we created a grant program where we're actually offering, uh, helping to subsidize the development work for, key applications to support this. Uh, we have a team of folks that are going out there and uh, talking to applications. Um, but the last thing, and I think the thing that's probably the most important, is uh, user demand. So we have users who have been buying domains over the past year, and there's been uh, a little over 220,000 domain registrations so far, and they want places to use their websites. They're launching websites. They want to be able to see them places. They're sending money using their domains. They want wallets to do it. So like they have been asking for it. And I think it's really the user demand that's been the thing that's been driving it the most. 
And so we've, you know, we've focused on that. So, I mean, I would say that all, all of those pillars are important, um, but actual users saying, hey, I want this is really the thing that's the most powerful. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, how easy is it to integrate? Walk me through the process of integrating multiple domains into, say, a wallet or a Web3 browser. Yeah, so I mean, if you're a wallet, uh, all you're doing is you are parsing this information. If I say, uh, so I have, if I see a domain name and I identify that my user is in the Bitcoin send field, I need to make a request to the blockchain and say, is there a BTC address associated uh, with this domain name? So I'm making a call to the blockchain and say, is there, a, is there a BTC address uh, associated with this domain name? So I'm making a, a blockchain, a call to the Ethereum blockchain uh, to ask that. So it's, it's pretty simple. Um, applications have written their own code to do this. Uh, we also have a library, um, which is, you know, even simpler. You can just, you can just plug that in. Um, What's that there's a few at? different ways. To do it. Um, JavaScript. JavaScript. Okay. And, and a web three browser is basically the same thing. Um, it's someone inputs a domain, it takes it, it parses the domain and says, all right, where do I go to find out what this resolves to? And so adding in um, whatever the appropriate lookups are for the dot crypto, and then making that request is all that's needed for a web three browser, I'd imagine. Is that, is that about it? That's about it. And it's, it, it, is, it is really quite simple. I mean, if you were to go and look up on the blockchain, all you really see is brad.crypto, BTC equals this, LTC equals this, IPFS hash equals this. I mean, it's, it, it's actually quite, it's quite simple. And any, uh, any Web3 browser currently can buy and manage their domains um, using your standard portal, correct? As long as, you're, as, long as you're a Web3-enabled browser, you can still buy trade, sell, manage, edit to the, your, your current domains. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, that makes sense. That, that seems like it's a, a relatively easy ask. Why do you feel people are reluctant to do so? Because they don't know any better? Because there's not there, there's no user demand specifically within their application? What? I haven't seen a lot of friction around it. So, you know, when, when we're, usually when, when folks, you know, are become aware of this, um, they're pretty excited about it. And so we don't see a lot of, a lot of friction. I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's always like, you know, we roadmapped this, this amount of features. And so it might, you know, we might need to do it after this thing happens, but we don't really come across any fundamental reasons why not. I mean, pretty much every wallet you talk to knows that this idea of copy and pasting these long addresses is just a really awkward user experience. And they face this problem because they're onboarding new users. So the wallet is very often the first place that somebody goes when they start playing around with crypto and they immediately are, are, are hit with this problem. And so if you were to go ask a wallet, you know, what are your support requests look like? Very frequently, it's like, what are these, what are these crazy numbers and letters? Like, what does this address mean? Very basic stuff like that. And like in the future, I don't think people are gonna see that stuff. I think people are gonna get a domain name uh, it's going to auto assign, you know, it's going to auto assign addresses to them and they're not even going to have that concept. Uh, I don't think that there was a phase, uh, where the consumer internet really took off. And I told you, Hey, check out my cool website at, you know, two, three dot four, seven, two dot five, eight, five. You know, there was no point in time where, where people were using IP addresses to share viral websites. Um, it's kind of like you can't really take this next step until you have naming. So I have a bit of pushback there um, personally, but it's 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 more of a discussion than, than a hard argument. And that is like um, the, the social nuances and ways in which we conduct ourselves with regards to the internet and the social mores we have around it are specifically because of that. Because we've never told the user to care and always had them offload the responsibility to something else. Crypto is definitely um, a potential to turn that on its head and to say like, like, you have the power 
and optionality to be responsible for your own um, value and the keys and the security associated with keeping it yourself. Uh, and the more we obfuscate that, the more we we stay along those social mores of offloading responsibility and security uh, for convenience. And so you don't get any real changes if the user doesn't have to think any differently or treat the system uh, separately. And so if, in my opinion, if we are to kind of, I guess, do what we're trying to do in a lot of the cases of the applications and, and people who are in the space, like you have to have some type of change in the interaction and intuition of how to operate with decentralized applications and the and the associated um, assets that you're dealing with. And so like, I, I, and that's, and that's a spectrum. That's not that like, like you said earlier, that's not a, it's not a dichotomy. It's not one or the other. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think I, I, think I totally agree with that. Um, I would just say that the domain name is also that. So the domain name has this same characteristic that the uh, cryptocurrency itself has, which is that it's self-custody, that it's a self-sovereign asset. And so you're fixating the user on a self-sovereign asset with a name that's easier to remember and pronounce and refer to as opposed to the public address. And so you're obfuscating one self self-sovereign asset for another uh or what you're really doing is you're kind of rolling the self-sovereign assets together in some ways yeah and i think that's really more just sort of a ui thing but it doesn't actually change the fundamental responsibility of the user which is i control my stuff and that Uh, and and that same light how do you like say for instance i make a bunch of registrations on my name and the things that are important to me and I lose the associated private keys to those registrations. I, then, so I no longer have access to them. They're gone. They're, I, I, my computer crashed and I didn't back them up appropriately. Um, you can't do anything about that. How do you then educate the user to appropriately back these things up? Because that's going to be a, an, an eventual part of, of a system like this is just basically stuff that's lost that can never be found again. Like, and it could be really good domains that people want to use, especially if the system gets really popular. It's like, oh no, that 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 domain is dead. It no longer has control because the guy lost his private keys when it first started. There will be zombie domains. It is inevitable. Um, I think the the nice thing is that. Uh, there's virtually limitless number of domains. If you think about it from a combinations perspective, so yes, you might lose some really great premium domains out there that can no longer be used, but it's not as if a system could suffer from so many losses that it wouldn't have functional domains. Um, in terms yeah. of the education, I, I think we're in the same boat as you know, essentially every crypto asset. And so there's going to be, you know, there's going to be multi-sig schemes. Uh, for important uh, important domain name assets, there's going to be um, backup tools. There's even going to be institutional level custodians uh, for temporary storage and things like that. There's going to be basically everything that you would see uh, with a cryptocurrency here. Uh, it's just that um, people will remember, you know, if Bitcoin.crypto gets lost and it becomes the zombie a zombie domain, people will remember that much more than one random BTC where the same thing happened to it. So it's going to be like more noticeable here, I think. Um, but it doesn't, but the dynamics are still the same. And there's a flip side to that, which is an idea that we've actually thought was kind of interesting, which is that it's actually possible to put up a website that no one can take down, not even you, by throwing away your keys. So there's a there's a flip side to this where you can actually create a website that literally is impossible to take down by anyone, assuming uh, that where it's hosted can also not be taken down. So like it's it's pinned somewhere on IPFS, assuming it's hosted on IPFS. It's like the resolution can't be taken yeah. down. Um, so you have like right. assuming that the backend hosting of IPFS stays true and it's pinned somewhere, that can also never be taken down too. But like that is exactly. an interesting scenario. There's ways to make that more robust over time too. So IPFS is amazing. 
Um, they have you know, tons and tons of, of, of awesome developers building, building tools for it. Um, but we're not opposed to other decentralized storage networks either. And a lot of our users have actually asked us, you know, can we, can we launch to multiple storage networks? Can we also remove the risk of the storage network itself? So I'm on a thousand different nodes inside of IPFS and I'm on a thousand different nodes on two other networks too. Um, so we can continue to make this more and more robust on the, uh, on the hosting side over time. Okay. We're running out of time. So I'm kind of trying to figure out kind of the questions I want to ask, because that's going down that rabbit hole is something I wouldn't mind pursuing. But I noticed when I was looking up Unstoppable Domains before this interview, I, and I searched for a couple of domains associated with my name, that they're under a reserved or like um, specific type of list that basically says like, you know, no one can take the super, you, you need proof in order to have this. Um, where did that list come from? And why is it there? Yeah, so the idea is that one of the problems that we saw with a blockchain domain registry, we've introduced this new problem where a domain cannot be taken away. And as a result, it means that you need to be much more concerned about people who might just buy and squat on someone's brand. And this is a huge problem in the traditional domain name world. Oh, yeah. They have what's called a sunrise uh, that's meant to address it, where you basically give brand owners right of first refusal on domain names. So we imitated that process. Uh, we used the trademark clearinghouse's database along with uh, a handful of other lists from crypto specific things uh, and others. And we blocked off all of these domains as uh, unable to be claimed by anyone other than the brand owners. And we're just giving away for free to all the brand owners and the including large companies. We've had multiple Fortune 1000 companies uh, claim their domains as well so far. And the idea was is that we didn't want the namespace, uh, we didn't want them to miss it. If everything becomes available on day one, they're not, they won't have heard of it yet because this is a small new thing. And then if all those brands can't get their domains, they can't adopt it. And even worse, people will use the registry primarily for phishing attempts, other types of scams. Um, so we did this defensively. Uh, it's a sunrise period that ends December 31st, 2020, at which point uh, domains will be freely available. Uh, but the idea is to get those in the hands of brand owners as much as possible. And that's the reason why we're giving them away for free. We really just want to make sure that companies have the option in two years, three years, five years uh, to adopt this technology. And if they can't get their brands, then they, the, their brand names, then they can't do that. So, How does one go about proving um, that they are the brand owner? Uh, by standard methods, proving through, proving through social media, corporate email addresses, uh, various other things like that. Proof of trademark. Okay, great. Then yeah, for the audience out there that would like to get a hold of one and it says that it's reserved, there you go. Go, th go through it, go get one. It's free. There's no reason not to at this point, in my opinion. <laughs> I'll be doing it. Uh, uh, that's about all I have uh, for today. Are there any questions that you would have liked me to ask that I didn't? Uh, no, this was actually, this was amazing. This was super, um, this was super deep down in the, in the way everything works. This was really fun. Uh, I feel like we, we covered all the, we covered all the key things. The only thing that I might just sort of, you know, wrap with is, is that they're in the traditional domain name world. Uh, we see content being taken down from hosting services all over the world very frequently uh, we see it in Turkey, we see it in Russia, we see it in all, all places all over the world uh, because hosting services uh, can be subject very easily to the rules and laws of their land. It means that you as the publisher really don't have the, the right to say whatever you want. And we think that is a critical, critical flaw in the current internet and not the way it should work, that anyone should be able to publish and transact online uh, without censorship. Now, what apps do with all of that and whether or not I believe that what you're publishing is ethical and whether or not I want to see it is my choice or my application's choice. But at the base layer, uh, that shouldn't happen because we don't have a secure, safe, and free internet if we don't have that. So, All right. That's a nice wrap up. Uh, for those that'd like to learn more, unstoppabledomains.com. And um, for the back-end infrastructure stuff, you can, there's a, you have unstoppable domains on GitHub to check out all the code that's available. Anything else that people should reach out to? Uh, yeah, but also 
I would also check us out in Telegram. There's a conversation going there. There's also a dev chat. Uh, and you can also check out docs.unstoppabledomains.com and check out how to do integration and all that stuff. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a bunch. <laughs>